Okay, so we are going to be looking at Mark chapter 10 and verse 32 to 45. This really concludes a a large section in Mark's gospel that we've been in for some time where the focus has been Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. Uh, What's fascinating is that journey began... um, uh, well, in chapter 9, really, from the Mount of Transfiguration, just before which Jesus has healed a blind man. And here we see another uh, similar healing. So we're in Mark chapter 10, verse 32 uh, to 45. I'll, I'll read it, then we'll get into it. It says this. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city... A blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him, told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped. And said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. It's a wonderful encounter again with Jesus' compassion, his love that meant that he stopped and intervened in this man's life. It comes, like I said just a moment ago, we've been on this journey with Jesus when he turned his face to head towards Jerusalem. And in that middle section of the book, There are some bleak aspects to it. It's as if, as this journey continues, more and more the clouds roll in. The the, the sky goes dark. There's a a foreboding atmosphere as Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. Well, why is that? it, It can seem like unbelief is the norm. We've not seen anyone turn to Jesus and follow him for sometime we've seen the pharisees asking a question recently earlier on in chapter 10 but their heart isn't to find out and learn to follow jesus they've already made their minds up they're already opposed to jesus they're already resisting him um so their hearts are hard and we even see with his disciples they've had their eyes open to an extent but they're still wrestling with unbelief they're not quite clear and as Jesus nears Jerusalem he keeps repeating this prediction that he's going to die he's going to suffer which means he's going to be betrayed he's going to be mocked he's going to be insulted he's going to be spat upon and he's going to be killed three days later he'll rise Um, so This incredible atmosphere is developing. Jesus, as we saw in chapter 10, verse 32, is is kind of boldly leading the way. 
leading from the front. And everyone else is astonished or afraid, thinking, well, he's telling us what's going to happen when we get there. When we get there, he's going to be killed. At least that's what he says. So the, the clouds are gathering. There's this sense of a storm is developing. It's a bleak time. It's a hard time. And sometimes, I suppose, for disciples, for the church in any age, we can kind of get focused on, on circumstances which, which could be bleak. Um, and that kind of dampens faith. What this passage does, it's like in the clouds... And you might know this, sometimes this time of year it, it happens, a gloriously bright day today. But sometimes the clouds are just like, like a blanket um, under the sky. Um, but there's a break in the clouds and a, and a ray of sunlight comes come straight through. And you can see it distinctly coming through, through the clouds. And it will light something up, it will illuminate something. I think, ah, oh, yes, something's, that's a glimpse of what's up there and what's going to change it looks a bit bleak but look there's this ray of of sunlight this passage acts like that a developing cloudy sky but a ray of sunlight shining through and this guy Bartimaeus and his faith and what we see Jesus doing in response to his faith is just wonderful let's be encouraged by it, and uh, and let's get into it. It's possible for us, um, or Christians in any age, to get more focused on the first part of what Jesus said in chapter 10 and verse 27. You may remember Jesus has this encounter with a, a rich man. He looks very promising. He looks very enthusiastic. He looks poised to follow Jesus, but he turns away sad. The disciples say, well, how can anyone get saved then? Ah, yes. What does Jesus say? With man, this is impossible. And sometimes we can just rest on the first half of the verse. We face things that seem impossible. Not many people turning to God. Lots of situations which I suppose we just have to cope, but there's not much hope. The Christian life can be a sense of, well, we're, we're surviving, we're holding on. Yeah, one day things will be sorted, one day everything will be right, one day things will be glorious, but we've just, life on the earth is just a matter of coping. We see something different here that reminds us of what the rest of chapter 10, verse 27 says, what Jesus says there. Not just with man this is impossible. Yes, there are lots of things that are impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. And that's what we get a glimpse of through Bartimaeus and his faith. So we're going to look at Bartimaeus. Who has faith? We'll look at when. When faith comes. And we'll look at what. What does Jesus do? And then what does Bartimaeus do? In response. So, first of all, who? Who is it? Have faith. We know his name, Bartimaeus, and we find out about his life at this point, and there's nothing much promising about it. Bartimaeus is blind. Blindness, a more common problem 
where disease uh, was more rife and uh, hygiene wasn't so great. Um, And Jesus encountered many people who were blind. Uh, We've seen that in chapter 8 in Bethesda. Uh, We see it here with this man, see it in John chapter 9. The disciples see someone who's been born blind and they pose the question, well, who sinned, this, this man uh, or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus says, well, well, no, this is that the work of God might be demonstrated in him. The disciples want to look back and find the reason. Jesus wants to look forward and say, look, this is what I'm going to do. Um, so blindness, a common, a more common problem, the guy cannot see. And it's difficult to identify with that. If we close our eyes, actually, there's still a lot that we can make out. We can see where the light comes from. You might be able to see some shapes. Um, and then you can just open your eyes again. Uh, we, you, know, you can play a game where you're blindfolded, but just hope that you can kind of just sneak a little peek. You can just see a little bit down here. Got some sort of sight. I think probably the nearest experience of blindness is if you've ever, if you've ever gone in a, into a cave, got like a head torch on, and you then... You've gone deep down into the earth, into some cave system, and then you and everyone you're with turns the light out. Can't see anything at all. How limiting it must be for this guy to not be able to see. Maybe he he could see at some point, but some disease or illness afflicted him. Well, if that were the case, that's no consolation right now. He cannot see. He is living life in the dark. And there's no NHS, there's no welfare system. Um, his only means of support, if we can call it that, is to beg. So, who does the spotlight fall on? It falls on Bartimaeus, and he is completely unable to see, and he was sitting by the roadside begging. Maybe, actually, that's just where he lives. He lives by the roadside. He has a cloak. Maybe he has some friends. Maybe they bring him to that particular point and then take him back again. Maybe he's learned to find his way around by, by, by touch and by memory and by kind of developing his sense of hearing and focusing on that. He's, he's learned a little bit how to cope. But that's all that life is. Life is just about coping. Faith comes to a guy who's in the dark. Faith comes to a guy where there's, there's no positive circumstance. There's, things aren't looking on the up. It's just another day living in darkness, living with poor health. And sometimes it's not always obvious, but when we gather together, there's some here. You know, living with poor health and the limitation that it brings. A sense of just of learning to, to manage, learning to cope. How does faith operate with sickness? And we've, we've, we've seen it before, so I'm not going to develop it hugely. But this is not presenting with us a, a guarantee of healing like we, we praying is a matter of rubbing a genie's bottle. You just rub it three times. Poof. What's thy bidding, master? No, we're not the master. We're coming to the master. But sometimes um, we can settle for the first half of chapter 10, verse 27. Oh, with man this is impossible. 
And we, we forget what our attention is also being brought to. So faith comes. But we're all born in darkness. We're all born in an unpromising, unenviable position that we might do a variety of things to try and cope with, but we can't bring ourselves out of. We are blind. We, we started, Colossians 1 verse 13 tells us, in the domain of darkness, unable to see anything. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, uh, Paul writes there about how the, uh, the minds of unbelievers have been, have been blinded to the light of the gospel of truth in the face of Christ. So something wonderful is there above the clouds, but we can't see it. There's no way of being able to penetrate the, the blindness, the darkness that we live in. And life then, um, when we began, it's just about trying to cope. Trying to cope without God. And there's a variety of ways in which we may have attempted to do that. Others may attempt to do it. And we've seen in Mark's Gospel, people living in darkness. We saw this rich young man and thought, wow, he's really promising. He's got a heart after, uh, after God, after law, it would seem. But when it comes to it, really he's just following rules, but seeking pleasure elsewhere. And that's probably the heart of religion. Doing what I, I should do and have to, but hoping that, that it's like paying a tax. Once I've paid the tax, once I've done what I've had to, there'll be a, enough for me to, to kind of sidestep religion and God and really get some joy and satisfaction in life. And he's doing that through money. Um, so just, just coping, but still blind. It's very sad to see the Pharisees coping through religion, but denying that they have a problem. Jesus says, you blind guides. You claim to see, but you're blind. Um, A sad, sorry state of affairs. So they've already made up their minds. They already think that they can see clearly. And so they interrogate Jesus and dismiss him. But their whole way of thinking is based on the fact, well, we see things clearly. We're in the right. We've got 20-20 vision. Jesus, you're, you're blind. You're missing it completely. The disciples, they do see a bit. But perhaps their means of coping sometimes is, is by being part of a group, this, this group identity. By being part of a, a special group, which they are in. And then there's just unhealthy, unpleasant attitudes that come about. They're, they're a bit elitist. Well, we saw someone praying in your name, Jesus, but they're not one of us. So we told them to stop. Just superior-minded, dismissive of others, a bit elitist, a bit cliquey. But also, amongst themselves, whilst they might find security in this group that they're a part of, they're actually really, really competitive. Pushing themselves forward. Um, wanting the most prominent position, wanting to be accepted and thought well of by virtue of the, the position they're in. Oh, let us sit on your right and on your left. Forget the others. Bring us into those positions, uh, James and John uh, would say. And sometimes that's ways in which we might just cope. We see, but we don't see entirely clearly. Sometimes we push ourselves forward in a, in a 
an unhealthy way. Or sometimes just withdraw. Oh, I don't fit in. I'm not part of the in crowd. Or maybe projecting that onto others, maybe projecting it onto God. And our mistake can be thinking that we see clearly. And it's one of the saddest things to see sometimes real disciples choose to withdraw. Either because the problem is other people or because the problem is God. Um, But however it is, there's just a lack of clarity and just trying to cope. Oh, it's never going to change. This is just the way that I am. Or this is what my upbringing was like. And so they can see, but maybe there's some kind of impairment. It's a bit blurry around the edges. God doesn't want us just, just to cope. I suppose there are things to cope with. Enduring patiently in the hope that we know will come in the future. That might be with illness or something else. But to hold together, yeah, with man this is impossible. All things are possible with God. This faith comes to a man who's in the dark. Well, when does it come? Well, it comes when he, Bartimaeus realizes that Jesus is passing by. Maybe the fact that loads of people were passing by was good news. That could mean that as he's begging, he's going to get a bit more money from people who are in a festive mood. It might be a slightly better day. Or it might be slightly worse. Because more people means he's more likely to get trodden on, or trampled, or not noticed, and squashed. But the day changes completely when he hears that Jesus is in the crowd. And he must have already heard something about Jesus. What we've seen in Mark's Gospel so far, on a number of occasions, is that Jesus is willing. If you want to, you can heal me. I, I am willing. And that he is able. Everything's possible for him who believes. He's not met Jesus before. He's certainly not seen Jesus before. But he's heard about Jesus before. And so when he catches wind that Jesus is nearby, today, now, becomes incredibly significant and important. When there's just a sense of coping and dreariness, when faith has got squashed, everything just becomes future. One day, one day, maybe, I'm not sure, but we'll just be holding on. When faith comes, even this man who's, who's sat in the dark... This sense of now is really special. And his faith, as it were, seizes the moment. Because Jesus could pass by. He doesn't know where Jesus is precisely. He could have already gone ahead. Where is he exactly? He doesn't know. But there's no time to lose. There's no time to be tentative. And he began to shout, Jesus! Faith, we see here, doesn't just... Yeah, faith seizes the moment, seizes the opportunity. And we see that, um, just reminded of a, a, a verse in Isaiah, chapter 55, and verse 6, which says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Bartimaeus hears that the Lord might 
this might be a moment where he's going to be found, that he is near. And he doesn't just default thinking, well, yeah, I've, I've probably missed the opportunity. It's probably passed me by. Uh, I suppose if Jesus wants to, he could come over to the side and, and interact with me. But it's not right to really push myself forward. Um, so if it's God's will, then... And it, he's not defaulting into that passivity. He's realizing now is special. I'm going to make a lot of noise. I'm going to expect, because I know that if Jesus hears me, what I've heard about him means that I believe he's going to take up my case and he's going to help and that he cares and that he is willing and that he is able and I don't want to miss this moment. So he's not thinking fearfully. He's thinking is full of faith. And so he seizes the moment. And there are times for us of seizing the moment, of saying, maybe now is the time that you're going to experience healing. Maybe now is the time where God's ordained there's going to be some breakthrough. The clouds are there, but the Lord breaks through and opens our eyes and does something new and highlights um, faith. So faith that seizes the moment because Jesus is passing by. And what? why does this faith emerge? Well, he is utterly convinced, it would seem, of who Jesus is. And this is remarkable. Nothing has prepared us in Mark's Gospel to hear what Bartimaeus says or to hear what he calls, what name he calls Jesus by. Jesus Son of David. What's he saying? He's saying that he believes that Jesus is in the line of David. That Jesus therefore has a right to the throne. That Jesus is God's king. That Jesus has a right to rule and that Jesus is coming in the direction of Jerusalem. He's, he's, he's coming to his throne. The disciples, they've realized something of who Jesus is, but we've not seen this kind of dramatic, punchy, simple, profound burst of faith, or certainly for uh, a while. And so that's what he, he calls out. And maybe other people took offense at it. Many people rebuked him and told him to be quiet, we're told. That could be for a couple of reasons. It could be because people were saying, you can't call Jesus that. He's a prophet, but he's not that special. You can't call him son of David. That's really provocative. You're just going to stir up trouble. And no, he's just a man like us. He's special, but no, he's, he's not in line for the throne. Don't be so silly. And it's these discouraging voices might, as it were, share the Pharisees' way of thinking. No, he's... Jesus isn't that special. Don't get so carried away. Don't put your faith in Jesus. And sometimes we might hear voices, literally, family or friends or neighbours or whoever, who, who, who find out we've made the decision to follow Jesus, to turn to Jesus. What? That just doesn't make any sense. I thought you were clever. I thought you were intelligent. I thought you were rational. Why, why are you putting all your eggs in that basket? That's ridiculous. 
In this situation, don't call out to Jesus. This is what you need. You need something else. Have a drink. Do whatever it might be. Um, Those kind of voices can be there. Or, not just Jesus isn't that special, but you're not that special. You're blind. You're a beggar. You're on the roadside. Um, You're going nowhere. Who are you to be calling out to him? He's going to Jerusalem, and, and we're all going to Jerusalem because we're on pilgrimage. It's the season of the Passover. We're more devoted than you are, and maybe if they thought like the disciples, they'd be thinking, and, and why is it that you're blind anyway? You must have done something. It must be your fault, or maybe your family's fault. Oh, you're not, you can't call out to him. So discouraging voices that would seek to squash his face, faith. Not necessarily his face. Um, But look at this guy. Bartimaeus shouted all the more. Notice that actually he doesn't stand up to defend himself. He doesn't get involved in some lengthy debate. Um, He doesn't try and say, no, I I am significant, I am worthy, I'm important for this. Here are some things I've done that show my devotion to the Lord, so I, I am worthy of his attention. He doesn't even go there. He just sees their discouragements for what they are. Sees, that's interesting. Um, Ignores them. And shouts all the more. Nothing is going to distract him from calling out to Jesus. Nothing is going to prevent him from, 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 from raising his voice to him. He's not put off. He's convinced of who Jesus is. He's got this rightful claim on the throne. What's remarkable then is this man sees. He's blind, but he sees. When it, when, spiritually speaking, he's got 20-20 vision. We've seen, that it's, we've, we've seen the Pharisees, blind guides. They can see physically, but where it really matters, they're totally blind. They're blind to who Jesus is. And they'd rather be in that condition and they're denying that it's a problem. They think they see clearly, but they don't. We've got the disciples, kind of like the last man in Mark's gospel to be healed of, of blindness, who was kind of healed in a couple of stages. Jesus ministers to him, and then he says, Well, I can, I can see, I can see people, and they're kind of like waving their arms around, but it looks like trees. It's not clear. And that's a little bit what the, the disciples are like. They see, but not clearly. Here's a guy who can't see, and yet he can. He can totally see who Jesus is. So he's not going to be dissuaded. And he's not saying, I'm special, I'm important. He's saying, have mercy on me. Jesus is the true king. He's got a right. I've got no rights. I'm not claiming an entitlement. I'm not calling out for justice. I'm not saying it's not fair. He's saying, I know I need mercy. I know I need grace. I know I need help. I know the position I'm in. Some people think that Bartimaeus, the, uh, had a, the, the, the name had a meaning, son of filth. I'm not actually sure that's warranted um, from the meaning of the word. Nevertheless, by looking at his position in life, it was bound to be the case. He was in a filthy position. He was in a low position. He had so little. 
So have mercy on me. He realises his great need. He realises the position he is. That's, that's what happens when faith emerges. It's not on the basis of who we are and what we can claim about ourselves. It's that we've seen who he is and we're calling out to him. Often we can hear thoughts, voices, other people's, or just internal, that will always just seek to squash faith. You, well, you've missed your chance. Jesus has probably moved on. Yeah, it says, you know, seek the Lord while he may be found. And that opportunity was there, but you missed it. And when faith comes, it's like, now's the moment. Call out to him. I love the fact that the, the crowd rebuke him. But it's completely counterproductive. He's just all the louder. And we're in a time where God has spoken to us recently, prophetically as a church, about being the Lord of breakthrough and bringing us into a season of strengthening faith. Therefore, a sense of now is significant. Now is a time for, for expectation. Now is a time to call on the Lord expecting him to answer not kind of just be squashed by nagging little worries that we kind of debate overly in our minds oh, oh, but but maybe but maybe not oh, we get kind of paralyzed by kind of overanalyzing faith comes and it's essentially simple he's there i know he's there and i'm calling out to him um, so this guy gets gets louder and and what does it lead to well, it leads to Jesus beckoning him, leads to Jesus uh, calling him to come close, and then it leads to Jesus healing him. But it's fascinating the way that it unfolds, because Bartimaeus is required to do something. Jesus calls to him. Bartimaeus needs to move. In this moment of kind of reckless abandon, he throws aside his coat, cloak, he jumps to his feet, and perhaps with a little bit of help from people who can see, comes to Jesus. He's, he's just leaving it all behind. There's, there's no worth in that. I'm just coming straight to him. Uh, and he comes to him, and Jesus asks him the question, what do you want me to do for, for you? So Bartimaeus has to verbalize it. He has to put into his own words, simply. What do I want? When faith comes, we're not coy about making specific requests. It's not a, a vague request at all. It's absolutely clear. It's going to be evident if this request is answered or not. Rabbi, I want to see. So we see with Bartimaeus that his faith, what does it lead to? It leads to him taking action. It's not passive. It's not, it's not lazy. He's, he's persistent and he's grabbing the moment and he's coming to Jesus with um, expectation. And even though he might have had reason to think that Jesus should come to him, he's not holding back. He's not caught in two minds. And he comes to Jesus and he puts it into his own words simply and clearly. And then what else does it lead to? Well... What's fascinating is that Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you. And he probably wasn't 
commanding him, you must leave, you must go in the opposite direction now that you're healed, but you're free to go. You can see. So, what do you want to do next? So what does he decide to do? He's been, he's been cloaked, he's been darkened, he's been just trying to cope with this limitation. Living in the dark, now he's suddenly brought into light, all that limitation is lifted from him. New possibilities, you might think, well, I, I, all these things that I couldn't do before. Now the world's my oyster, perhaps. So what does he choose to do with his newfound freedom, with his newfound sight? Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road, along the way. He could have done anything. He could have gone anywhere. But by faith, he makes the choice. I'm going to narrow down my options again. There's loads of things I could do. I'm not going to, because I want to follow him. He's the one. He's God's king. And I'm going to choose to follow him, to keep in step with him. We see then in Bartimaeus this this model of what it means to be be a disciple. It's not about kind of we had loads of promising qualities or we were in a really promising position and we just were naturally taking the next step. No, we were in darkness. We were without God and we were without hope. But faith came in Jesus and we responded to the moment. And if indeed that this has happened to us, we came to him when he called us and we wouldn't be dissuaded and we said, God, I need you. Have mercy on me. And he's done something to change our lives, change our identity and now leading us on. Faith that keeps in step with him. So we see in, in Bartimaeus this amazing Breakthrough, this ray of sunlight that comes through the clouds. In a sense, I wonder if for the disciples it was memorable because it became a picture of what was to come. One day, Peter would be preaching on the day of Pentecost. Jesus has died, he's risen again, and he's gone to heaven. And Peter will be preaching, and then he'll see thousands of people make the response that, in a sense, Bartimaeus is making here. And sometimes for us, we can just think that Christian life is just about coping. And therefore, just let's just keep our expectations very measured. We're not expecting much to happen. We're not expecting things to happen quickly. It's slow and steady and incremental. Or, or maybe there's no growth at all and no change. And that's just how things have got to be. And maybe this comes as a reminder to us. Maybe we don't even realise we've been listening to those kind of rebuking, accusing thoughts that might cast doubt on Jesus and who he is, or might cast, seek us to kind of be discouraged about who we are and our position, or the mistakes we've made, or the life that we've led, or the position that we're in, and how life is just a drag, or whatever it might be, and 
we can settle for that too easily. We can settle for the first part of chapter 10, verse 27. With man, this is impossible. You've got to understand, people don't change. So you and I, we're not going to change. And other people, they're not going to change. And uh, kind of praying for revival in some kind of magic wand type way. Well, actually, look, this is what happens when someone comes to faith. And as we see the Gospels unfold, as we see the book of Acts unfold, we're reminded, actually, this isn't unusual. It's impossible for us just to manufacture. And sometimes you might see a very promising potential disciple. You think, well, they, they could, they've, they've got so much to offer. They could, they, could, they could be such a great part of God's kingdom. Just not interested. But God opens the eyes of someone who might just be looked down upon. Well, should we be surprised? Jesus has been saying all the way through. First will be last, the last will be first. Here is an example of the last, Bartimaeus. Here is an example of, if you like, a little one being welcomed by Jesus. Ignored, overlooked by others, but spotted by Jesus and drawn close. We're seeing and being reminded of what God can do. So let's, let's take hold of that. When it comes to praying for impossibilities, which could be praying for healing, could be praying for a situation that we face. And it's impossible for us to change. It's impossible for us to, to do much about. And so our expectations go down, go down. May we need our eyes opening again. It's not just a matter of, of coping. Maybe we need to think again, actually, maybe I'm not seeing everything clearly. Maybe I've, I've kind of got long sight. I'm really believing for that final day. I'm really believing for heaven. I really know, I'm really understanding that there, everything will be fine and dealt with, but I've kind of lost that ability to focus here and now and see what God might be doing now. Of course, it could go the other way, and we're just so focused on the now, we almost just lead ourselves into disappointment because, oh, it's, it's not quite happened how I thought it should, and God's not broken through in the way that I wanted him to. Um, I don't know. This guy's got 20-20 vision. He can see close, he can see far. We need that ability to, hold, you know, to see that which is in heaven, but also to know that we're going to have down payments of it in the here and now. Let's see what God's going to do. We believe in a God who heals. It might be in other respects. It might be like, like disciples, just learning to cope with the fact, well, I do see, but I've got some impairments, but that's just how things are. So I've got to push myself forward to try and get recognition. Or, of course, I'm going to withdraw if I feel like I don't fit in. Um, well, let's believe for better. Not because other people are the problem, not because you're the problem, but actually because there's something for us to see more clearly about what God is bringing us into. Not just a, oh, I, just, I need to find my security in a little in crowd and I feel affronted if I'm not a part of it. Oh, all a bit worried, all a bit tense or competitive or cliquey, but just one way or another, just having to cope. It's how things are, it's how I am. This opens our eyes or this invites us to look again at who Jesus is and what discipleship looks like totally abandoned believing he has the best and 
and then following him and being part of what he's going to do in the future. There's some suggestion that we know Bartimaeus' name because he was just one of the guys. He was known. Oh, you know Bartimaeus. Yeah, he's the son of, of Timaeus. He, he became part of the early church. Is one suggestion. He didn't just disappear, in other words. He stayed tucked in and he said, I, I believe the best life I can have is following Jesus and seeing where that takes me into more adventures of faith. Why don't we uh, stand together and we'll worship in just a moment. I'd like to, uh, to pray. Father God, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you thank you for what we see here. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you reveal that the Lord is the, the Lord of breakthrough. You're the one for whom nothing is in the category impossible or inevitable. And thank you, Father, I, I pray. I, I thank you, Lord God, for the eye-opening moment when for, for so many of us in this room... We came to understand who Jesus is, our position. But if we called out for mercy, that we'd receive and you've changed our lives. And I thank you, Lord God, in this room. For examples, in recent times of, of answered prayer and the Lord revealing that he's the God of breakthrough. He's the Lord who knows what life is like. who's intervened and Father I pray Lord Jesus because you've encouraged us Lord I pray Lord God for a strengthening in our faith I pray a coming to faith for those who who, who, as yet eyes have not been opened and Father that together we'd see more and more what you want to do in one another's lives where there isn't a competitive anxiety about our place in the pecking order. But actually we're seeing what you're doing, not just in our own lives, but in others' lives. We're seeing breakthrough in other people's lives. We're seeing breakthrough when we pray for them. Lord, we want, to, we want like Bartimaeus then, to, to follow you wholeheartedly, closely, devoted to you, seeing what you will do next with us. In Jesus' name. Let's sing together.